Good to be back here again. I want to thank uh, Pastor Mark and Sister Carmen for inviting us, allowing us to share this evening. But most importantly, I want to say thank you to all of you who are here. Really, I mean it from the bottom of my heart. When Tessa and I first started raising support to go to Kenya five years ago, Grace was the very first church in Texas that we visited. Now we're back in Texas, and you're the first church again <laughs> that we're visiting. So praise God for that. And seriously, you've been very, very faithful, and we're grateful for that. Um, I know that all of us have struggled for, in one way or another, from something related to the pandemic, and, but you've been faithful the whole way to us, and we're grateful, so thank you. Um, and for those of you who don't know us or don't know what we do, I'll start out by introducing myself. My name is Randy Payne. I'm a missionary with the Assemblies of God World Missions, and we're in East Africa. I'll talk more about that in a second. And the mission's vision, the mission's vision, to see a healthy church within walking distance of every African. A healthy church within walking distance of every African. Now, obvious, obviously, that's a pretty, that's a broad vision. It's a pretty big vision. So how does that play out in, in my in my little world. Well, to have a healthy church, you need to have pastors and church leaders who understand the Bible and can recommunicate its message, right? Amen. So I work as an educator in East Africa. Basically what that means is this. I teach pastors and I teach church leaders the Bible. It's that simple. Um, I teach teachers. I teach a lot of teachers, people who are going to go and teach somewhere else eventually. I teach teachers, and I help them, I help prepare them to teach in their local Bible schools and in their churches. I also develop and write curriculum, Bible school curriculum. I write it in English, and then it gets translated into a lot of different languages and ends up being used in Bible schools really all over the continent. So it's a pretty cool thing. I'm grateful that God's let me do it. Um, in East Africa, East Africa, you probably know East Africa is not a country. It's a region in Africa, and it's made up of several countries, really. So countries like Tanzania, Rwanda, Uganda, Burundi, Sudan, Ethiopia, Somalia, and Kenya, which is where we live and where we travel from. I have one wife. Her name, her name is Tessa might sound funny, but in parts of East Africa, one wife is definitely not a given, not even in the church. Uh, <laughs> Tessa is a nurse practitioner by trade, but in East Africa, she works in the area of Compassion Ministries, and she's going to come talk about that after me, so I'll let her do that. I could say more, but I'd be way out of my depth. Um, I also, I have two sons. I have one named Jackson. He is 12 years old. He's in seventh grade. He's doing seventh grade here. Uh, and I have another son named Jansen. He's two. He was born in Kenya. Uh, ten years. That's a big gap. He's the son of my old age. <laughs> we have a two-year-old. I can't believe it still sometimes. Um, <laughs> it's crazy. I've been spending a lot of time over the last couple of weeks uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. And there have been some ideas that God's been stirring around in my mind, and the idea for this talk tonight 
comes from a short passage, one short passage in the Sermon on the Mount. I think, I bet you most of you probably know what the Sermon on the Mount is, but in case you don't, or in case you've forgotten, the Sermon on the Mount is this block of text found in Matthew 5 to 7. I'm not going to read Matthew 5 to 7, don't worry. It's called the Sermon on the Mount because of what we read in Matthew 5, 1. Here's what Matthew 5, 1 says. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them, right? So he's on a mountainside, Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you've ever looked at the Sermon on the Mount or if you've ever read through it, you probably realize pretty quickly that sermon might not be the best word to describe the talk in Matthew 5 to 7. Really, the passage records Jesus' teaching, it's teaching, about what it means to be one of his followers and participate in the kingdom of God. That's what it's actually about. So it's not so much uh, like a comprehensive set of rules or something like this. Actually, Jesus is teaching about what we might call signs or symptoms or examples. Stay with me here. Signs or symptoms or examples. And what I mean is this. The Gospels, Matthew especially, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they teach us that the kingdom of God has actually broken into the world, right? And I don't mean like a thief breaking into the house, although that's not the worst metaphor we could use, but I mean like a meteor breaking into our atmosphere. That's what I mean by breaking in, if you will. So we could say it like this, in and through Jesus of Nazareth, the kingdom of God has suddenly and forcibly come near. That's the way the gospels put it, right? The kingdom of God has come near. It's interrupted the normal order of things. And it's, it's burst into a world that's still full of sin and darkness and death and evil. Anybody who looks around can see that. But the followers of Jesus, us, the followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be signs or symptoms or examples of the fact that the kingdom of God and the king have burst into the scene, have burst into this broken world, right? This is the idea. So in other words, Jesus is saying, hey, this is Jesus talking. (laughs) The world needs to know that the kingdom of God has come near in me. God is doing a new thing. He's interrupting the status quo, just like he said he would do in the prophets. And people will figure this out by watching you, my disciples. You are the symptoms. (laughs) You're the signs of God's rule in the world. Show them what it looks like when I'm in charge, and here's how to do it. So that's how the Sermon on the Mount works. Jesus' disciples then, wherever they are, they're evangelists, they are, they are missionaries, they're ambassadors to a watching world announcing that God is in charge and showing them what that looks like, right? Are you with me? Yes. Good. So, Jesus' teaching is for us too, right? They were, it was for Jesus' disciples 2,000 years ago, and it's for us right now or for anyone who wants to be part of the people of God. Anyone. Now, with all of that in view, that's, my, that's the broad overview, right? 
we find this brief little passage that I'm going to read to you tonight or talk about tonight a little bit. It's from Matthew 5, 13 to 16, if you have a Bible. Matthew 5, 13 to 16. I'm sure you've heard this before, probably many times, and, or read it yourself, but let's hear it again afresh. I'm going to read it to you. Here's what it says. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds glorify your Father in heaven. There are a whole bunch of things that I could emphasize here, but I've just picked out two tonight for this talk. First, there are these two little Greek words that Matthew uses right here in this passage, humes and humon, and they mean you and your. You, humes, are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light, right there's humon, shine before others that they may see your good deeds. Now, I'm not throwing Greek words around to sound extra smart or something like that. In fact, I had a professor one time that said Greek and Hebrew are like underwear. You should be wearing them, but you don't have to tell everybody about it. So <laughs> it serves a purpose, really, it does. So stay with me. Give me a special dispensation. Um, I want you to understand this. I want you to understand that in English, if you use the words you or your, there's a question about who I'm or what I'm referring to, right? Am I referring to you or your singular, right? Um, um, you know, Ken, I remember your name, Ken. You are a wonderful friend. Or um, Tessa, is that your pencil? Can I borrow it? Or we could mean you or your plural, right? Refer referring to more than one people. You are a wonder wonderful group of people. I love your enthusiasm or whatever. So. We don't have that problem in Greek. Um, actually, the singular and the plural you are completely different words. So to my point, here in this passage, Jesus' words, they are there to you, plural, right? It's, this is very clear. This is a, he's addressing a group of people. Um, very clear to the people who first heard Jesus on the mountainside. Really not always clear to us, I don't think, when we read that word in the Bible. So in the NTV, that's the New Texas version, Jesus clearly, he's addressing y'all, <laughs> a group. <laughs> this may seem like a minor point, but I am going to make a point. Um, it's not minor because many of us, me included, we tend to like individualize things that scripture doesn't actually individualize, if you know what I mean. We tend to do that. So serving Jesus becomes about me and my personal relationship with Christ. And I'm a good Christian because I read my Bible and I pray. I'm the salt and the light of the world. And I want to be salt and light and do good deeds in my workplace or whatever that looks like, right? Whatever. You know what I'm talking about. And I'm not chastising anybody because we all tend to do this, I think. Um, I do it. And God, he cares about... Um, he cares about our character, and he does care about personal responsibility. But in this case, 
And in the case of the vast majority of the New Testament, the you is not me and the you is not you. The you is y'all. Are you with me? It's about community. It's about community. So to be a disciple of Jesus is to be part of a community that represents God. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be a part of a community that represents God. Y'all are the salt of the earth, the city on a hill. Y'all are a light of the world and to keep the thing going. And it's it's all y'all's good deeds that lead (laughs) to the world glorifying God. We, all of us together, we're kingdom people. And the best way to do good deeds is to do them together. I mean it. And I really believe, I really believe that that's what we're doing together, us and you. Whatever good deeds the pains are doing in Africa, I can assure you, we're doing it because communities like you, this community here in Burleson, are the people of God for the world, and you're acting like it. And together, we're showing people what it looks like when Jesus is in charge. You are missionaries because you partner with us. And now, that may not be sort of, that may not be conventional logic, but I can assure you it is New Testament logic. It's very good New Testament logic. Second thing, too, the second thing I want to point out has to do with some of the metaphors that we find in this passage. You are the salt of the earth. What's that mean? You are not actually salt. I think everybody knows that when they hear it. You are not little sodium chloride crystals or something like that. It's a metaphor. It means that Jesus' community of disciples are like salt in some way, or maybe several ways. So we have to ask, well, what does salt do? It does several things. It can preserve things. It can flavor things. And salt in the Bible, actually, believe it or not, it's connected with purification. You can see that in Exodus 30 if you want. And even, this is really strange to me, but it's true. Salt is connected with peace and friendship. You should check out Mark 9.50 or Colossians 4.6. Salt is connected with peace and friendship. Now, I don't want to get hung up on one particular characteristic of salt or something like that. I think Jesus' point is this. Salt has impact on other things. And if it doesn't have impact on other things, then it has no value. Salt has impact. The next metaphor we encounter, you are the light of the world. Again, Jesus' people are not actually light. We don't, when we get together, we don't glow. Right? If we did, we'd probably be looking into like a class action lawsuit or something. It's a metaphor. <laughs> it means Jesus' community of disciples must be like light in some way. So again, we have to ask, well, what does light do? It lights up the darkness. A city on a hill is highly visible. An oil lamp lights up a really dark room. Or maybe you, I've done this, you've driven down a highway in the dark because you skipped the gas station, you're close to running out of gas, you're starting to panic, wondering if you're going to end up stranded on the side of the road, and then you crest the hill and you see there's a town, and there's lights, and you're like, thank God, I'm not going to run out of gas, surely there's gas in this town. Uh, You get the point, right? Light lightens darkness. Um, It helps us to, to know where to walk. It gives us hope in dark times. And that's, that's exactly what light is supposed to do. We don't light a lamp and then cover it up. And again, I don't want to make too much of the different things that light can do, 
But Jesus' point, I think, is that light impacts other things. It impacts dark situations. Light has impact. Salt has impact. Light has impact. Also notice that light in this passage, actually symbolic of good deeds. So Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Good deeds, like light, are highly visible. And if we do good deeds in Jesus' name, people who are not followers of Jesus will see it. Like they see light in the darkness, and it can lead to the glory of God. In other words, they'll connect the dots, right? They say things like, this is, how, this is, this is how it works, I really think this. The community, you see those guys, that community, they're, they're doing good things, right? And they say that they serve the living God. They say that they serve this guy named Jesus. So these people's God must be responsible for the good things that they're doing. I think I'd like to find out more about that community. And I think I'd like to find out more about that God, right? That's good New Testament logic over and over and over again. So we could sum it all up and we could put it like this. According to Jesus, to be a disciple is to be part of a community. It's a community that impacts the world for the glory of God. And we're not just talking about some generic sort of positive impact or something like that, right? We're talking about ministering to the poor and sick. We're talking about loving our neighbors, even loving our enemies. If you really want to be countercultural, give that a shot. We comfort those who mourn. We teach people to pursue righteousness and peace. We're agents of reconciliation. In other words, we, and I'm talking about you and I, all of us together, we are living, breathing signs of the fact that God's kingdom has broken into the world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Jesus' community has to be a missional community. It has to be. And we do mission by doing good works together in Jesus' name with our lips and our lifestyles. We're saying, if you want to see what it looks like when Jesus is in charge, look at us. We, all of us together, we're a community impacting the world for Jesus. This is what it looks like, if you can flash up some of my pictures there, the picture of the three African guys. This is what it looks like when we impact the world for Jesus together. It looks like Alex and Wycliffe and Sunday. These three guys are from Uganda. They've taken a bunch of courses that I've taught at the Bible school in Nairobi. We've also spent a lot of time together outside of the classroom. All of these guys are either, they have a great story. They're either orphans or their parents weren't able to provide for them. So they ended up in a boy's home in Uganda. But they started following Jesus while they were in this boy's home. And their presbyter in Uganda believed that God was preparing them for full-time ministry. So he paid for these young men to come to Kenya because the Bible school has a good reputation, the one in Nairobi. And he wants them to receive training so that they can return to Uganda and serve as teachers in their Bible schools, in their districts, and in their local churches, right? And I'm telling you, these guys love Jesus. They're some of the brightest young people I've, I've met. And the church in Uganda is going to have spirit-empowered young people prepared to teach the scriptures in their communities because we, you and I together, are a community impacting the world for Jesus. Amen. Impacting our world for Jesus looks like Robel, 
Maybe you could put Robel's picture up there. There he is. I've circled him. <laughs> Robel has been a student of mine for quite a few of my master's cohorts in Ethiopia. When I go to Ethiopia, I'm with these guys every day, all day, all day, um, for 10 days. During one of our sessions, we were discussing creation and God's purpose for people. And we were talking especially about um, what God, that God wants, that God loves people, that he wants to live with people, and he wants to use people to steward his creation. God really wants that. If you don't believe me, read Genesis 1 and 2 and Psalm 8. That's a major theme, actually, throughout the entire Bible. God loves people, he wants to live with them, and he wants to use them to steward his creation. So the next morning, Robel approached me. He asked me if he could speak with me after class. At the end of the day, with excitement and a little bit of tears, he started telling me this story about his sister and her children who were staying with him for a few weeks. His family, he tells me, had always been pretty hostile towards Robel's beliefs. But on this particular evening, they approached him and they started asking him questions about Jesus and what in the world are you doing over there at the Bible school, right? What are you learning in the classroom? And he decided to share with them the conversation that we had in class about God wanting to live with people and loving people and what he's accomplished through Jesus. Exactly as we talked about it in class, that was the thing that he wanted to emphasize. I said it just like you said it, Dr. Payne. And when he shared, his family began to weep. And they wept because they were moved by the story of a God who loves people and who wants to live with them, right? And they asked if there was a way that they could, they could serve this God. And so Robel prayed with them, and now they're followers of Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And it didn't happen because I'm a good storyteller or because I'm a gifted evangelist. I'm not. It happened because you this community of disciples put me in a place where I could teach about the Bible and help other believers to recommunicate its message, right? It's not just academic. It's so, it's so much more than that. It's about people touching people, real, like real flesh and blood people, not talking over the internet. And what we do together, we all, when we do this together, right, we always find that the word of God is powerful and the spirit uses it to, to transfer people from death to life. He does. We, you and I together, we're a community impacting the world for Jesus. It also looks like Mary. Mary's a pastor who's from a place in northern Kenya called Turkana, and she goes to one of the local Bible schools. It's called Kage. Kage stands for Kenya Assemblies of God Extension, which are extension sites. They're scattered all across Kenya. I think there's like 26 of them. Um, and it's a place where pastors can go and they can learn about the Bible um, and they get diplomas in Bible. And by the way, they're using curriculum that I, I'm helping to develop. So even if I'm not there, I have some confidence that they're getting really good resources. I really, I really think that. And for some, it's the only resources they have besides their Bible. That's it. These little books that we're writing about the Bible to help them study. So listen to Mary. Uh, she's going to talk about Kage really fast with a thick accent, but I think you'll get it. And, um, and she'll talk about the impact that, that we're having, not just me and Tessa, 
I'm, I'm talking about us, all of us together, the impact that we're having in some of the remote areas of Kenya. I'm Pastor Marilena Rot Amaya from Turkana South District. I'm in Katilu at Aligoy Church. So I'm happy because of Kage School. It has been helpful in me because till I joined that school, I've been enlightened. I am transformed now. I can do the work of God with strength, not fearing because even our culture don't recognize women. But when I come to this school, this school have imparted the knowledge to me. I am strong now. I can do the work of God. So I thank Kage and KAG and our missionary very much for giving us this school near, even in my family, because I'm a mother, I have children. So it is very easy for me to come here and, and have my school, attend my, my, my Bible school class. Then I go home. Then I look for my children. I help my church. So I'm very happy. And I say you, are, you have been a blessing to us. Let God help you so that you can help us and give us strength for this work. Even financial, we have a problem, but we thank God for, because he has been gracious. He has been helping. Even now, I'm going to graduate my school the next month. I am happy so much. So I thank you, Kage. I thank you, KAG, for giving us this school in KAG and Kage. Lokichar cohort, I am a, I'm a, I'm one of them. I'm a one woman. I thank God. I know that all women will come to this school and will learn and will be enlightened for, so that they can stand in their, their families, even in the ministry of women. We, I am so much grateful because I'm learned and I'm a woman. I will enlighten other women. I will teach them the word of God so that they will be able to teach others and make disciples so that the work of God will go far. So we thank you so much. Thank you, missionary. Thank you, Kage, GS, and so on. I thank you so much for good work that you have done in Lokichar at Turkana South District. Thank you. <laughs> Doesn't Mary make you excited? She does me. Well, I'm Tessa, um, another member of the Pains in Kenya 104, because my kids are missionaries too, I believe that. Um, I have the privilege of working with pastors and church leaders in the area of Compassion Ministries. So these are the very tangible, hands-on ways. So I'm going to share with you um, a few stories in how, in the NTV, y'all are impacting East Africa with me. So first... I know during COVID, things, I'm going to stick close to my notes, because when I start telling these stories, if I venture far away, I get caught up in the details, and I get really excited, and I could talk for a really long time, so um, just bear with me. But during COVID, we know that things were stressful, and difficult, and uncertain, and I don't know about for you, but for me, they're still not back to normal. And it was still that way in Kenya. Now, I'm going to take you to the Kibeta slums, and it's near the heart of Nairobi. I think I have a picture of the Kibeta slums there. It's one of the largest slums in the world, and it's often featured in National Geographic for struggles. Now, I could tell you the day we went down there and almost blew up, but that's another story in another sermon. So I'm just going to tell you um, about this particular day. So on a normal day, we have 2 million people living in these shanties just trying to survive, just trying to make it day by day on a normal day, pre-COVID. So when COVID hit, it was really over. I mean, they couldn't survive. There was no water. There was no food. And when the government food aid trucks actually would come into the area, people were tramped to death running after them in these streets. And if they actually could get up to a truck, they would only hope 
to get a ration of the food because oftentimes you had to know someone to even get a little bit. Well, we partner with a church that reaches um, this community down in there, and they wanted to serve their community in this very hopeless time, but they too lacked the resources. And so we asked them, well, how can we, this means you and us, how can we serve you? And the pastor said, can you just help me find a way to feed my widows and my orphans? So that's what we did. Do we have any youth in here tonight? I don't know. Maybe they're in another room. But this is a shout out to the youth because we loaded up our Speed the Light vehicle, our Toyota um, pickup truck with food, and that's what we did. We went down in there. Yeah, it was risky, and it could have been dangerous if anybody would have known what was in the back of our truck, but it was worth the risk. They literally got to feed their people in word and deed. They prayed with them and they gave them food. I think we have the next picture there. Do you see it? You bought the food. The youth gave us the vehicle. We took it down in there and that pastor in that local church got to feed their widows and their orphans. You guys, that's we, us, together, impacting the world for Jesus. Now, let me, let's talk about water projects. Water projects are a huge topic in Compassion Ministries. First, there's lack of access to water, and then if there is water, it's often not safe water. Now, we use the term safe instead of clean because sometimes clean doesn't always mean safe, and we don't want it to get lost in translation. I have the privilege of working with WorldServe International, um, Kenya Board, where we work on access to water, often that relates to wells. Um, I also get to work with Africa Oasis, where we partner with a um, filter company, and we help provide those who have water with clean water. And so there was a church in Burundi who wanted to be a light for their community, and so they reached out to us for help. Well, the first thing you do is you don't tell them what they need. You flip the question around and ask. So we did. What are some challenges that your community faces? And they said, just having safe water. And we thought, this is easy. So we just need your volunteers. So... We gathered up the filters. I traveled to Burundi. I spent the next few days training the church volunteers on how to use the filters and on how to teach filter use. This wasn't me doing it. This was them. This was their outreach, and we were equipping them to reach their community. Now, we ended our week of training with this church in northwest Burundi, Carmel AG, up next to the Congolese border, distributing over 200 water filters to their local community. They were a light for Jesus through word and deed. They were giving them living water and they were giving them safe water. I get texts almost weekly actually from this group um, providing me with follow-up because as a follow-up to this, they actually go into these homes and they check on the people to make sure that they're still using their filters correctly and that they're cleaning the filters, but they're also establishing relationships so they can share more about Jesus. Do you see? You bought the filters. I went to Burundi and trained the local church. 
And then that local church has now distributed over 1,000 water filters across the country, and they're still going. People are no longer getting sick, and they're coming to know Jesus because we, you and us, together are impacting the world for Jesus. Now, let me tell you about Lucy. I often wear a bracelet um, that Lucy gave me to remind me of her. I don't have it on tonight. The next picture, that's Lucy. Lucy radiates joy, something like I've never seen before. In the southern region of Kenya, it's the part known as the Maasai Mara. It's the land that models the images of the African savanna that many of us think of, and it's, very, it's home to the Maasai people. And it's their tribal tradition for a young girl, when she becomes of age, to be married off to a much older man. The price is often a cow or two, a few sheep, maybe some goats. It all depends on what her worth is determined to be valued at. Men often have multiple wives, hence the reason my husband informed you all that he only has one. We wanted to make that clear. When Lucy was nine years old, she was sold by her father to a 47-year-old man for the price of a cow and a few sheep. She had her first child at the age of 11 and now has six children at the age of 23. The tribal village where Lucy is from has two churches and a girls' school if you're lucky enough to go there, um, but Lucy wasn't that blessed. Now, there was a church from Nairobi who wanted to be a light to this community, but decided that another church was not what they needed. What they did was they lacked access to medical and prenatal care. So they built a medical clinic, and they began serving the community. People come from 10 miles away to be seen. Now, some of you are shrugging your shoulders. I took 10 miles to get here. No, they walk 10 miles to be seen in this clinic because it's the only access that they have. Now, I've traveled to work in, to this clinic, and it's a little over four hours so th- into the bush, so thank you again to our youth, wherever they are, um, that I can get there. And then it's a one-mile walk over a river and through the bush, literally. I have to be um, accompanied by two tribesmen, one with a machete and one with a rifle, and I included that picture just in case any of you doubted me. Now... Just as a side note, since this clinic has been built, the infant mortality rate in that um, community has gone from 60% down to 10%, and there hasn't been a single death of a baby born within that clinic. And so, yes, praise God. Anyway, there's Lucy and her children. They were seen and cared for in this clinic And they heard the good news. They heard the hope of Jesus. Then she began to show up at the clinic every day to sweep the floors, wash the exam room, clean the supplies, greet patients, whatever was needed. And they told Lucy, we can't pay you, but she still kept coming, serving. Day after day, week after week, month after month, for well over a year. The pastor from Nairobi came to her, and he said, Lucy, thank you for everything, truly. But I'm sorry, we still can't pay you. 
you keep coming, but we can't afford to pay you. And Lucy looked up at that pastor with more joy than I'd ever seen pour out of one person. And she said, I don't have anything to give you but my time and my hands. And I give them freely because you already gave me Jesus. Do you see? You provided the resources for the clinic. I work in the local clinic. The local church shares the good news through this clinic. And we, we, Grace Church, we together are a community impacting the world. The Lucy's and her children for Jesus. We said it before and we'll say it again. When you partner with missionaries, you're not giving to us. You are giving through us. We are an extension of this community to East Africa. We are God's missional community impacting the world for the kingdom of God. Pastor Mark, would you join me for just a second? I'm going to struggle here. We want to give this to you, Pastor Mark, as a thank you to Grace Church. Because for five years, you guys have been faithful. These stories are because of your partnership, because of your faithful partnership to be in community with us. And we want to thank you for partnering with us to impact the world for Jesus.